This series of the For All Mankind podcast is brought to you by the Gardner Family Apothecary. Caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel's Silcox base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of the news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro. Hello and welcome to the final episode of Series 4 of the Fall Mankind podcast. In this episode, I continue my chat with teacher, Montessori and respectful parent, and mum of four, Gemma Daly. This conversation is all about play, and I hope you find it as interesting as I did. Gemma, you are the queen of play. I absolutely love your Instagram, and it, for, like, for everyone at home, it's the way we play. Um, and I suppose as a mum in this generation, the toys that you have and that are available to us now are totally different to what I grew up with. Like there's some resemblance, but the open-endedness of it, it's totally new. And so I, I walk into like the Wooden Heart in Galway or Little Ones in Ennis or, you know, you're browsing online to all of the, the Grimes toys and I'm looking at them going, yeah, they're really beautiful. What do I do with them? like what is like this rainbow is stunning and I'd love to have it in my sitting room because it's aesthetically pleasing um but it's actually watching your stories and your grid and watching your YouTube videos that I've kind of gone oh my god this is a whole other school of thought when it comes to play oh yeah yeah and I mean I think the reason why I started my I started my YouTube channel first um when Oscar was around five months old so I was in Dubai I'd finished my job I was out there um teaching and training teachers um and I'd finished that up to have Oscar and I had no intention of going back to work um and because we were in Dubai it meant that my husband was covering you know the money side of stuff and I didn't need to and I was looking forward to just you know, raising my baby kind of thing. And I got to five months and I was a bit like, okay, I need some kind of outlet here, like to use my brain as well. Cause I'm just on my own with a baby in my house and the temperatures were getting hotter um, and our outside time was getting limited. And so I was just like, I need something. And I was, you know, I was going on YouTube myself to like look at for inspiration of things to do with him. And I was like, you know, I feel like I can use my expertise as a teacher and everything I've learned in my teacher training and working with kids and working with parents and working with training teachers. I feel like I can use what I, what I, I feel like there's a gap in the market almost. So I started making YouTube videos about, about everything really. I did a few like vlogs about life in Dubai and I did videos about sensory play and then they started to do well. So I was like, hmm. <laughs> maybe I can actually make this work as a you know a viable option and you know give me something to do with my mind but also help other parents because ultimately you know that's what I want to do I I kind of came out of classroom teaching 
within about 10 years of my career and then started working with training teachers. And I just felt like that had a bigger impact because if I can train teachers, then they go off and train children. It's it's more than me just teaching, you know, 30 children on my own has a bigger impact. Yeah. So if I can help parents, then, you know, they go out and support their children in better ways then that, you know, helps another generation. So I kind of, and then it's just snowballed, really. My channel's grown so much. And then I started my Instagram account. And now, obviously, having the triplets, that's made stuff a bit bigger. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of knowledge that, um, you know, people in the teaching profession know. And it's not given to parents, necessarily. You know, parents don't, you know, they they rely on what their friends are saying or how they grew up or, you know, what their mum and dad did with them. And there's yeah. loads of research, you know, and the wealth of knowledge that we're able to access now. But it's not necessarily out there for everybody. And I feel like sometimes there should be like a leaflet given to parents when their babies are born of, you know, these are the developmental steps that your child's going to go through. These are the things that they're going to want to do, you know. And we say like babies don't come with a manual, but for the most part, developmentally, they do go through the same phases and yeah the same milestones absolutely and and we kind of get hung up on you know they're going to crawl and they're going to walk and they're going to talk but there's all these other smaller things about you know their interests at different points in their babyhood and toddlerhood of you know most babies pretty much unless there's a significant issue are going to go through the same phases and and that's where I do a lot of work on schemas and play schemas that helps us with our toy selection as well because it can be a minefield like you say you go into these shops and you see all these things and you think what what am I going to buy my baby you know and we can't we get in a kind of a system of my baby is bored I need to buy them new things and um that just brings on the toy room from hell doesn't it of like just this chaos of buckets full of stuff that they don't play with so that's my aim really for my Instagram at the moment is just to, and particularly with obviously I'm going through it with the babies again, is just to kind of get that information out there that one, you there's a lot of stuff you can DIY. You don't have to buy a lot of stuff. Two, there's a lot of stuff that's very cheap to buy that you don't need to buy like really expensive stuff. Like obviously the wooden toys are lovely and there's loads of beautiful companies that make beautiful things, but you don't necessarily need them. And, um, you know, there's open-ended toys, you know, you can have a packet of giant pom-poms that can do the same thing as the Grappat, you know, beautiful wooden discs, but they they do, they do the same thing, they just, one is maybe slightly more aesthetically pleasing. I don't know, I think the pom-poms and the fire grid definitely add to... <laughs> to the sitting room because I saw you did that and because the boys are all in the same age I was like okay Peter we're gonna shove I didn't have pom-poms but I got toys that you know I know that he he quite likes and I just stuck them into the fire guard and watched him do exactly the same as as your boys um and like you you talked about schema there and that's a word like I've never come across anywhere bar you um, I don't think you're the only you're not the only one like people happen upon my channel for one reason or another and then they kind of come into the knowledge of you know I, I talk about it a lot because I just think I would just want to get that information out there and I get so many messages from parents saying I've never heard of this why why is this not spoken about and how how would you describe how in kind of layman's terms what is schema 
So, so schemas are basically, so you, we probably all, if you have a baby, you'll notice that they repeat things over and over again and, and children and they repeat it until basically their brain is like, yeah, I understand that. So it might be, you notice that your child is constantly putting stuff into a container. Like, you know, they might find a bag or a, a box or something and they're putting stuff inside it. Or you might notice that your child is constantly throwing stuff or that your child is fascinated with things that turn or you know the washing machine turning around or wheels on a toy or these are all schemas so these all fit into there's there's probably around eight generic kind of schemas that most children go through but there's actually thousands of schemas because a schema in its simple term is just a repeated pattern of behavior so anything that your child repeats over and over again is the schema but in babyhood um, there's these common ones. So there's things like containment schema. So that is when your child is fascinated with understanding volume, basically, and they'll try to put small things into a larger thing. So this is where you can provide toys like pom-poms and a plastic jar or a box. And you'll notice that they love just picking them up and putting them in and picking them up and putting them in and picking them up and putting them in. And they'll just repeat it over and over again until their urge, their brain has said, yeah, I understand this now. I understand that that pom-pom fits in that hole and I can fill it up and then it reaches this capacity and then I can tip it out. So they repeat these things over and over again. And there's some schemas that are very irritating to parents that then the, you know, the child can then be labeled as naughty. So things like children who love to throw stuff, that's actually the trajectory schema. And this is a schema all about your child finding out about movement and what it's like to put an object through the air or drop an object and understand gravity. And it's just their brain's natural way of discovering the world. But obviously it's irritating to us parents if they're picking up toys and throwing them because you're like, why are you doing that? But these urges are inbuilt. They're not able to be stopped you can stifle them as a parent and you know you take that toy away from them and you know say you're not you're not going to throw that but they'll find another way to fulfill that urge and to understand what their brain is you know willing them to find out about because all these things are the foundations to our entire learning as an adult and we still use our schemas as adults so the fact that when you were a baby you put things into something else and learn about containment is the reason that you're able to, you know, pour a jug of milk into a bowl and not let it overflow. You know, you're using all your knowledge about how much is here and how much space is there. And if I pour that, will it overflow? Will it not overflow? When do I need to stop? You know, you're using this bank of information that you've built on from the very first moment of birth, you've started to learn. And these are your building blocks. And so all babies, pretty much will go through these phases that their brain is programmed to find out about. And if we can just provide suitable resources, it makes that learning much deeper for them, that they're able to obviously to access that learning much easier because of the things you've provided. So I think when parents go into, you know, Smith's and they go down a baby toy aisle and they're, there's their, you know, this is educational, this is going to do this for your baby, this is going to do that for your baby. And you buy it and you put it in front of your baby and they're interested and it entertains them. But are they learning anything from it? And there's a, a, a quote that's passive toys 
make active learners and active toys make passive learners and it's you know if you've ever shown your child a flashy bright toy that does a lot of stuff your baby does nothing but the toy is doing a lot of the work whereas if you provide a container and pom-poms they do nothing until your baby does the thing and they do the learning and because they're manipulating the toy so that's the information that I'm trying to get out there to parents that it's these loose parts these kind of common things that you can have in your play space for your baby that they can then manipulate and use for different schemas so you can get some pom-poms and they can be used for containment but they can also be used for trajectory so if your baby is throwing a toy that you don't feel is safe you can redirect them and say oh we're not going to throw the blocks but here throw the pom-poms or here's some bean bags why don't you try throwing these and then you can get some skittles or whatever for them to aim at and you know it develops but it doesn't need to be these expensive as well flashy toys that are pitched as being educational um there's simpler ways that we can support our babies with their learning and their understanding and their play and that's you know where they learn so that's a long-winded explanation of a schema actually isn't it (laughs) but it's so true because like and especially at the moment like I, i have absolutely gone onto websites going what am i going to do to entertain my child like what this has been a long year and it has been a long winter and you know you can fall into that trap of buy more but you know put it in front of them or why aren't they playing with it and it's you know and the flashiness it lasts for a couple of hours and and we all say it the box the toy comes in is more exciting than the toy and that's because the child has to play with the box and it's their so that's the start of their imagination and whatever is there, you know, in their mind at that time, that the box is far more exciting than that, like you said, that that toy that you've brought in. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the learning that can come from a from a from a simple box <laughs> is much more like it might have written on it that the toy was educational, but actually they didn't mention that the box was, you know. Yeah that they are going to find so much, you know, you just see a child holding a box. Like Ashton was with a um, one of the Easter egg boxes this morning, just manipulating it, putting his hand through the hole. You know, the learning that is coming from him just manipulating a box is much more than, you know, a, a toy necessarily would do. And your two boys, like watching them, their personalities are, are so different and their method of play already and what they're interested in like as a mom that must be fascinating to watch the trees and play quite differently at times oh yeah it's a, it's a great experiment isn't it <laughs> like i i feel very privileged like i've said to my husband quite a few times over the past year that it, you know this is really hard but this is such a privilege to be raising three babies at the same time and especially coming from an educational background where I've learned so much about children and I've taught you know groups of children all at the same time but it's fascinating to watch you know they get they were born on the same day they've had exactly the same input they get the same amount of sleep they get the same you know everything is the same but they are so different like you say like Sebastian is pulling himself up you know he'll probably be walking soon Hendrix is nowhere near that but Hendrix is much more capable of manipulating things with his hands and his feet like he'll lay on his back and use his hands and feet to manipulate an object which Sebastian wouldn't be able to do Um, and it's not to say that one is better than the other you know they all catch up and I think that's I hope that's what comes through on my on my Instagram stories as well that 
you know, if your baby's not doing this, it's not the end of the world. Like, look, here I've got another baby who, because people say to me, oh, you know, you're a super mum. And I'm like, well, you know, I've got three to compare here to. And if I could say, well, Hendrix didn't eat his lunch today, that must mean my food's disgusting. But actually I've got another two who did. So I know that it's not, you know, I've got one who's playing with the thing that I've put out for them and two that aren't. So it's not necessarily what I'm doing. It's just their interests at a certain time are there. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's fascinating to be able to watch the three of them and their different interests and different personalities coming out. And you were talking recently about the growth motor development. Um, so I would be familiar with the kind of the fine motor development, which is, you know, picking up with fingers and stuff. And that's a phrase that I'd be very familiar with and understand but the gross motor development. I hadn't heard of, but watching you, I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I was in a situation obviously with the triplets that, um, from very early on, we were already tapped into all these additional, um, people, you know, occupational therapists and physios because they were triplets, because they were premature, they were going to be seen a lot over the, well, they're going to be seen a lot over the next two years, basically, um, to check that their development is on track. So I had that kind of safety net <laughs> and I have raised a child, Oscar, and the way I feel like everything is pushed on parents, you know, to these mild, these gross motor milestones. So getting the, your baby to sit up, getting your baby to crawl, getting your baby to walk is massively pushed because it's the obvious things, isn't it? And when you're in a mum group, obviously not during COVID, but you know, it's like, oh, well, my baby's sitting and your baby's not, or my baby's crawling and yours isn't, and mine's walking and yours is talking. And you know, it's these massive comparisons that we do that is completely unhealthy for our actual children. <laughs> that, that naturally we are designed to progress from being babies that can't do anything to walking, talking children, adults. And that process is inbuilt in us. And so for the triplets, I decided that I wasn't gonna stress about um, tummy time, about forcing them to sit up, about encouraging you know the gross motor milestones more than I needed to now I had like I said I had the safety net of knowing that I, they were also going to be checked on so if something was going awry you know if they were getting a flat head or you know if they were way behind where they should be I'd be notified but I feel like I've got a good understanding of where they should be and so I've left it much more naturally this time I haven't forced a lot and so they've followed what um is called a natural gross motor development and this there's lots of research out there about this and it's not necessarily recent research either that's been researched for a long time um and i found it fascinating that children don't naturally sit up until they can crawl and that was a bit of a shock to me i was a bit like what surely babies sit up before they can crawl and then i was like well how how does a baby get themselves into a seated position seated position before they can crawl um and so i did a lot of research and i you know i was a bit cautious about it because i had raised oscar and done tummy time and sat him up and all of that and i was like actually this i'm in no rush for them to reach these milestones i don't really need them to be walking i'm quite happy for them to take the slower route but actually what i've discovered is by not 
forcing the milestones they've actually become a lot more confident in their movements a lot stronger a lot quicker so oscar didn't really roll until he was nine months old he crawled at 10 months and he was walking at 12 months but my boys we've got to count them as their corrected age they're 10 months old they're pulling themselves up they're you know much stronger in their crawling they're much more able in their their gross motor movements than Oscar ever was. So I just find it fascinating that there's this process that we're told to follow, but actually if we just take a step back and let our children develop naturally, there, there's no issue really. Like they're gonna do it. They're gonna do it, we don't need the competition. When you were sharing that and I was like, it, it gave me great food for thought. Cause I was like, when you think about it, like we sit our babies down on the ground and we sit, you know, obviously you sit them to feed them, but you know, you'd often, I'd often carry Peter into sitting room and I'd sit him down. Um, and he, he would be more, he'd end up throwing him like going down to that crawling position naturally himself. He actually doesn't quite like sitting. He's far happier rolling and he developed that skill of rolling a lot younger than Alice did and is far more active on the floor than she ever was um but when you were sharing that information I was like that actually that makes sense because no baby just naturally themselves at the first milestone is sit and then crawl because they physically can't do that and they're not meant Um, to you know they're meant to be able to discover on the floor like we we did a lot of like no containers so we have bouncers for the babies but that was really just because of their reflux after a feed they would be put in a bouncer until kind of 10 minutes or whatever and then they spent a lot of time on the floor and that's the best thing you can do for your baby is allow them the freedom of movement and you know i i do a lot of stuff about montessori and her work and her understanding and the research that's come from that about how babies you know they don't need a lot they need space to discover their bodies and and um you know become physically strong they don't need you know things like bouncers and um jumpers and um you know these containers that hold babies in positions that they naturally can't do have an impact on their development you know a baby isn't meant to jump until they can jump it has a huge impact on their joints and their hips if a baby is jumping before they're physically actually able to jump on their own, you know, and we were given a jumperoo with Oscar and he, to be honest, he didn't really like it, but it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if we were meant to jump as babies, we would be jumping, but you know, it has such an impact on their, you know, their bones are still developing. Everything is still soft and supple and it's meant to be like that so that they can, you know, maneuver naturally but if we start forcing them in, into these positions that they're not meant to be in at that age, it has a huge impact on their, you know, their physical development and, and could have a detrimental impact. That's the biggest thing. You know, there's not a lot of research because of, you know, these things haven't been invented that long. And, yeah. you know, these, you know, the people that were in these for a long period of time are just getting to adulthood, you know. So I don't want to be the guinea pig of, you know, oh, I put my baby in this new contraption. And then when they're older, they've got, you know, bad knees because of it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I spoke to Alwyn Morin. Um, she's from Cogni Kids and she talks about like the cognitive um, development and the, like the importance of crawling for the co- cognitive development. And she's spoken to me about the bouncers and the walkers and the, that those containment 
and she like she said like the marketing around it like it should say on the box you know the right age for it because a lot most babies go into them too young and like there is you know some of these devices that you know we bring into our households with the best of intentions should have warnings on them because they're just heavily marketed and you know they're pushing out their product and it's not giving you the full story and i never consider that because you know as a mom there is a naivety that you just presume that well, why would there be something available to me if it's not necessarily safe absolutely and, and there's so many things like that isn't there as parents that we just yeah. like oh <laughs> well yeah. you're telling me that this maybe isn't the best thing why are they selling it why are they allowed to sell it there's so many things out there that you think it should be on the box <laughs> Do you know, and it's so, yeah, um, I was really surprised by that, you know, um, and, and, you know, to hear you kind of affirm it is, again, it's a reminder that just look, you know, if you see a toy and, you you know, especially ones that are containment, like look into it and, and you know, have a second thought about it. And I know some parents need, you know, they would say, oh, I, I really need it because I need to have them contained or have them safe. But you know, I've seen other parents and who, who are in a similar position and they, you know, create a massive, like almost turn like their sitting room into like a massive playpen. So they're, the child is safe and is contained, but has the freedom of space. Yeah. And that's what we've done with our living room. We, we like in Montessori, they call it a yes space so that you can put your baby in a space where they are safe, but they don't necessarily need to be contained by an object. So like we've turned our living room into a yes space because we didn't want the playpen because our living room is too small. <laughs> so we put the fire guard up, you know, there's yeah. no plugs that are accessible. There's no wires accessible. Um, everything, you know, we don't have a coffee table for them to hit their head on or anything. So everything is safe in that environment, but they don't need to be necessarily in a container. But even down to, you know, just things like walking your child, you know, how common is it for us to hold our baby's hand above their head to walk them you know how unnatural is that for a baby's walk you know you don't naturally walk with your arms above your head for balance let alone anything else but we very soon start to help our children to walk thinking we're doing the very best thing for them so we hold their hands up above their head and help them to walk I did it with Oscar and they teeter along and they are very wobbly. But if you follow the natural motor, gross motor development, you're told not to do that with your child. If you're going to hold them anyway, you hold them at their hips. So you're on the floor with them and you hold them at their hips for stability. But that helps them with their arms because they're not going to naturally then look, put their arms up, be out of balance, out of whack and fall over more. And that's what I'm noticing following this natural gross motor with the babies is that they're much more confident in their movements because they've learned it in the most natural way that nobody's kind of forced them into anything that they they haven't naturally done themselves. And I'm going to do that with walking as well, that I'm not going to offer my hand to hold it above their head and see how it goes. I mean, I am an experiment. Officer, <laughs> but I just, the more I research, it, it's just obvious, isn't it? Like we do yeah. these things to support our babies, but physically it's not, going to help them insofar as you know that's not the natural way that they need to walk so yeah I find it fascinating and the more I research it the more it's fascinating and and then the more I'm doing it with three babies the more I'm just like wow I feel like I this needs to be information that everybody has access to now whether you do it or not obviously is up to you and there's times that you are going to hold your baby's hand or whatever but um 
I just find it fascinating. I feel like that there's one way that's pushed all the time yeah. of this is what this is what you should do, this is what you should buy, this is what, you know, this trajectory that we're always on as parents and there's not a lot of information out there about other routes that you can take and, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do in my little piece of the world. <laughs> And to, if someone is listening, they're kind of going, okay, Montessori, Montessori play. And obviously it was Maria Montessori's method that kind of, she was started it all out. How do you, you know, whether, no matter what age, you know, that your child, your infant or toddler is, how do you, like what's, how do you introduce it? Okay. So the first thing is don't get um, sidelined by the word Montessori, because I think, um, the biggest thing about Montessori is it's put on a lot of things. <laughs> it's not trademarked. It's not copyrighted. Anyone can say Montessori and it not be Montessori at all. So Montessori was a woman. Um, you know, she uh, she started out working in orphanages in Italy and she started to notice things about children and she wrote about them. And so having a toy that says this is Montessori I think that's the biggest thing that I think parents get like, oh my God, I can't do this. But what she actually said, and the biggest thing for me and the thing I follow is follow your child. So ignore everything else that's going on. And this is where Instagram is good and Instagram is bad. So, you know, you see a child the same age as yours and you think, well, they're doing that. Well, I'm going to do it with my child. And then they've got no interest. And you're like, well, why? Like they're the same age. They should have the same interest. They should like the same thing. Well, that you know children are like popcorn we can give them the same environment but they pop at different times so the most important thing about Montessori is just look at your child look at what their interests are and follow that you know if they are I mean schemas aren't about um connected to Montessori but if she was alive when they were discovered I'm sure she would have been interested but so if your child is in a trajectory schema where you're noticing that they are really enjoying throwing stuff then don't then think, well, they're doing a lot of throwing, but they're not doing anything else. I need to start introducing this and I start, need to start introducing that. Just go with it because they are programmed to learn. You know, a child is programmed. We don't need to force different learning on them. We can just follow their lead. And this is where, you know, a lot of parents, I think, have gone down the homeschooling route is because they feel like the curriculum in schools is forcing their child to learn things at times that they're not necessarily open to it that's obviously further down the line but with your baby you can just follow what they are interested in so if they're enjoying throwing just give them more opportunity to do that skill until that skill is fulfilled in their you know heart like they're over it and then they're on to something else so you can offer them bean bags or we can go outside and throw or we can see what it's like to throw things down the stairs or throw things into a bucket or you know just still focusing on the same school that interests them. Like I get a lot of parents message me saying, oh, you know, my my little child is obsessed with cars and vehicles and that, that's all they want to play with. Should I not be introducing, you know, role play and, you know, dressing up and, you know, all these other things, crafts, they're not interested in painting. It's like, no, you know, go with what they're interested in. You can introduce things through it as a medium, but if their interest is in vehicles and tractors and whatever go with it but you can then still put it into you know a sensory box and have sand and gravel or you can take it into water and have them in the bath or you can 
write letters if they're old enough, you know, through paint or whatever. You But do it through the medium that is interesting them. Like, there's no need to force anything. And I think that's the biggest thing with Montessori. It's just follow your child. Look at your child. With Instagram particularly, I just save stuff. So if I see an activity that I'm like, oh, that's a good activity... I won't necessarily do it straight away with my child just because they're the same age or whatever. I'll save it. And then if I think, oh, you know, there's an interest, I go with it. So Oscar has more recently become interested in letters, for example. Yeah. Before he had no interest in, like, I don't think he even saw them. <laughs> like it wasn't even on his radar. And then all of a sudden, like a light bulb goes off and he's saying, you know, what does that say? And oh, what's that number? And And so then I kind of get up on my Instagram like a little folder that I've just saved of like pre-writing activities and things like that. So I'll just start to introduce those things and see if that gives him any interest. And it did for a while and we did a little bit and then he's gone off it again, which is absolutely fine. Like I don't feel the need to force something that he's not open to. So that's the biggest thing for me is, you know, look at your child, look at where their interests are and go with that and don't feel the pressure that they should be doing this or they need to be doing that because they're inbuilt to learn and they'll do it through whatever medium that interests them. And that's the brilliant thing about us all, that we have different interests and that we're all individuals and that we don't have to fit into a nice neat box all the time. Yeah, and as well, I find, and like, I'm sure you would have noticed the difference between like Oscar and the boys is that... I would have done like baby massage with Alice and I would have done swimming lessons and I would have done sensory classes. And so I have this kind of like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bit of guilt and it's a bit of kind of like, oh, like developmentally is Peter missing out on things? So you, I feel like I'm trying to almost compensate for those missed opportunities. But, uh, you know, then I kind of kind of go well look at him he he's perfectly happy and he's actually developmentally he's he's streets ahead of where she was and 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 I wonder if that's the same for a lot of these lockdown babies that we've suddenly learned that we didn't need all the other stuff yeah and what I've I've heard anecdotally is that what the public health nurses with developmental checks and stuff is that they're actually finding because we're at home with our babies so much more and we've adapted our homes to be more you know homes for babies rather than homes for adults so like that that you know you you've removed the wires and you create more open spaces and um take away obstacles like coffee tables and stuff like that and that developmentally actually these current babies are doing so much better because we're on the floor with them and we're spending so much more time because we have no choice like there is no going out for coffees and there's no you know wandering around the shops as much as we as we mothers love it and we need it but the babies actually are getting far much more like one-to-one time than they ever have had before so so and uncontained as well i think like you know they're not in a car seat as much they're not in a yeah a buggy as much you know they might go out for a walk but it's not that you know all day kind of from car seat to buggy to you know they've got that time to explore at home must make a huge difference yeah and like i know like we changed like we our house is you know it's tiles and it's wooden floors everywhere which for smallies isn't great for trying to get them to crawl and stuff so this time i was like okay 
And it was from talking again to Alwyn Moore and the cognitive kids. You know, she was talking like the cognitive and development of helping your baby move and how our houses actually become the opposite to what a baby needs. Like to get that, you know, especially crawling because she's she speaks how how important crawling is. Um, so like we bought a massive mat. It's really like not nice mat, but you know what? It was in Duns and it does the job. And we put it down, and we get to sit on the ground all day and just play. And he's comfortable, and he feed you know hits his head it doesn't hurt because it's he's got a nice bouncy mat and and I actually think now looking at him and looking at he's crawling and he's rolling and I'm like it's probably a combination of being at home with him so much and creating a room for him because we had no choice but to create a room for him that he he can do what he wants and he can you know everything is safe in here and there's plenty of different things now I was saying to you is like I don't know how you manage with the three boys because Peter is is fast and he has an amazing ability to find anything in any other room that he shouldn't have um you know so we will he's now at this was the past week he's taken off so we are going to have to go around and things that Alice never looked twice at he finds fascinating so Things will have to be, I guess, particularly in the kitchen, will have to be kind of moved and, and altered for him until he gets a bit more um, cop, if that will ever come. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you know, we do worry as parents about pandemic and play and development, but I think we're probably doing a lot better than we give ourselves credit for. Probably yeah, and part. I think what's been prioritised is what's been missing for so many years, you know, and I think yes. probably when we were back in the times when mums were all at home, you know, that wasn't, you know, both parents out working all the time when we were back in that generation, there was a lot more of what's going on now. And we've kind of been forced back into that situation where babies are, like you say, more one-on-one attention, more space, more freedom, and less time out of the house has created what is naturally a baby's development. And, you know, like you say, the panic of, I haven't taken them to these classes, but what you have provided is actually more of what they need than the classes were providing. Yeah. And to be honest, I always found the classes were almost more for me than it was for the babies because you got to go out. I took Oscar to baby sensory at, I don't know, eight weeks, I think he was. (laughs) That was definitely more for me than it was. And I've met mums that are, you know, almost three years ago from those classes and they're still like they're really really good friends of mine and uh yeah and I think those classes actually for mums are it's a social outlet and the the secondary benefit was for the babies Gemma thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much of your own personal experience and your personal knowledge thank you thank you you so much thanks thank you for listening to series four of the for mankind podcast I would like to thank all of my guests who took the time to speak with me my sponsor, The Gardener Family Apothecary, for their support throughout the recording of the series. My family, and of course you, the listener, for all of your very kind messages. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please follow me on Instagram at Kind, where I'd love to hear from you. Gardener Family Apothecary are the official sponsors of For All Mumkind podcast caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox base to Elav's sensitive beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin.
You can keep up to date with all of the news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro.